following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. The book of Colossians, we've been studying it for since the beginning of 2020, uh, and really from an aerial perspective of this book, we've gone from uh, the, the, the cosmological perspective of how vast and great Jesus is, that he is preeminent, that he is superior to all things, that Jesus is over all things. And then as the Apostle Paul walks us through what this means, that all things were created by Jesus for Jesus, uh, he, he moves this reality into the daily life of how we um, embody this reality as we understand who Jesus is and what he has done so it has daily implications on our life. It affects our households and our marriages and how we parent. It affects how we go to work and our interactions with people in our city. And, and as this book wraps up, we're coming to the very end of it here. We've got about three weeks left in this. Uh, it, it's showing us how this life-changing reality that Jesus is over everything expands through prayer and mission, right? What, what, what started uh, with prayer last week in, in verse two of chapter four, talking about prayer as not just a way to ask for things from God as far as like, give me a better job, give me better behaving kids or whatever it might be that we're asking for, uh, but actually a profound way to enjoy our union with Jesus. Right, a profound way to gain access to all of the benefits that Jesus offers us in the gospel. And, and here, um, Paul shifts from showing us that as a, as a personal union into a passage that's gonna show us another very important aspect about prayer. And, and Paul's gonna show us that prayer really does two things. First of all, prayer aligns our hearts with God's heart. Paul shows us that in praying, it actually enables us to sort of take on and adopt God's own heart in a way that, that's grieved over the brokenness that we see in the world. That we can look at the world as we know it and say, this is not right. This is not how God meant, think, for, meant for things to be. But at the same time, we're not hopeless. Right? We're, we see the brokenness, but we have hope and we have this desire that God would flex on the fallenness of creation, use his power and his might to redeem and restore all of the brokenness that we see in this world. And so it, it stirs within us a desire for God to renew the world. And secondly, after aligning our heart with God's heart, it gives us a conviction. It gives us boldness to take action and to do our part. And you can see this in the book of Acts where the apostles, after, after Jesus has ascended to heaven and they're sitting there praying and they're like, what do we do next? And, and they pray and the Holy Spirit descends on them and gives them a power and a boldness to go out and tell the world about what God plans to do through the blood of Jesus. And so it does the same thing in our life. It gives us a conviction and a boldness for us to not only have the heart of God, but to act on the heart of God to be agents of reconciliation in this world. And so what this means is that prayer serves as both the activator and the accelerant 
for the mission of God to advance in the world. The mission of God being that God wants to renew and restore all things to its beauty and its glory as he intended, and we get to be a part of that, partnering with God in this mission of moving to that end. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells us that he, he's the one who ignited this cosmic uh, fire of renewal, that, that he was the one who, who lit the torch and it got it ablazing, and now the prayers of the church is what fuels this, this burning fire in every age. And the more that we pray, the more we see that fire expand, and the more we ourselves are activated to be missionaries like God called us to be. Now, you can trace this reality throughout the history of the church. Wherever there has been a revival, where in a revival, I'm really looking forward to this. After we finish up uh, the book of Colossians, we're going to spend a couple weeks talking about revival and hopefully stoking our hearts and, and creating a hunger to see God move in this way, but, but where God would rend the heavens and come down and move in a way where, where people, not just church people, would be affected, but the, the whole city, the whole culture would be affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ and see giant leaps toward this renewal of the cosmos. And every time you see this giant leap in revival, it's preceded by long, sustained, and earnest prayer that God would actually do what he says he's gonna do. And so here we see that prayer is the prologue to gospel renewal, that if we want to see the cosmos renewed, if we want to be part of it, that we're going to be a praying people. And if prayer is the prologue to the church reaching the city and beyond with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that means that if we are weak, if we're not good missionaries, if we're not reaching people who are outside of the church, it probably means that our prayer life is impaired. It probably means that we don't have a prayer life that, that, that's as robust as God intends it to be. And, and what that means is we don't see the significance of prayer. And when we don't see the significance of prayer, we don't pray big prayers. We don't ask for God to do beyond what he's capable of doing. In fact, it's like Ephesians talks about what God is able to do and exceed our expectations. So if we don't see the significance of prayer, we don't ask for God to move in these big ways, or we don't even pray at all, or we get swept up in the immediate context of our life, and we just ask for things to come our way, right? The better job, the better kids, the better car, whatever it might be, these temporal things, and we don't see the, the, the eternal picture of what God is doing. Now, Paul He's got a burden. He doesn't want us to have this impaired prayer life. He wants this robust prayer life, the church to be praying people, prayer warriors. And so he wants to show us how to pray. He, he wants to help us set our city on fire for Jesus, that there would be a new wave of revival that would bust out even starting right here in Moline that Jesus would be known and loved in the Quad Cities and far beyond. And so what he's doing here in this, these couple of verses, Paul is calling the Colossians, and by doing so, he's calling us to be people who pray for the mission of God, to pray for the gospel to advance, that people would know and to love Jesus, but also showing us how to pray, or, or more specifically, what we should be praying for as we pray for the mission of God. And I'm gonna show you three things. There are three things that God wants us, that Paul wants us to pray for in regards to the mission of God advancing here in our context and beyond. First of all, opportunity. Pray for opportunity. Then secondly, clarity. And third, for receptivity. So here, here we're gonna see it here in verses three and four. Let me read them to you. 
is Colossians chapter 4, verses 3, 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I might make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So Paul here says, hey, pray for us. Now, Paul has a unique position as a missionary, maybe the leading missionary in the first century church, that God would open a door. All right, this is language that we use, lingo we use now, right? Open a door, right? That means opportunity, that there would be an opportunity here for the apostle Paul. Now, this is kind of a play on words because Paul here, he reminds us that he's in prison because he was preaching the gospel. And so when he says that there would be an open door, right, you know, on one level, let me go free. Let me get out there and let me engage with the world. Loosen me of my chains. Now, I think that Paul is probably praying for that in some regard, but I think that, that that's just the surface level of what he's asking for because what he's really asking for is that, that God would provide an opportunity to share Jesus with people who need to hear Jesus, people who don't yet know who Jesus is. Now, if you go through Paul's ministry through the book of Acts and even through the, the epistles that he's written, we can see that when Paul is in prison, that does not set back the mission of God at all. Right? Even with the, the leading missionary trapped in a jail cell, the mission of God still moves forward. In fact, Paul says the reason he's in jail is because of the gospel, but the, the, the jail cell cannot prevent the gospel from going forward. It will not stop him from doing what he's been called to do. If anything, it's made him more effective. You can see this, where, where Paul is converting jailers, right? Roman guards who are keeping him under wraps so he can't spread the gospel. He's sitting there and he's preaching to them and they come to faith. And other people who are in jail with him, he's preaching the gospel to them. They respond in faith. And then on top of that, Paul is sitting in a jail cell, and he's writing these epistles to churches who need to be reminded of the gospel so they would be commissioned as the missionaries God has called them to do. Now, it seems like being in jail would be an inopportune situation. But in God's hands, this is exactly what was necessary for the mission of God to move forward. And we might say the same thing as we sit in the middle of a, of a pandemic, right, where, where we're in sort of a, a, a season of, of, of civil unrest with the, the, the call for social justice, right? There's all kinds of things going on. It seems like this may not be the moment for, for the, the mission of God to move forward or for us to be thinking about this, but there is not a better time for us to be concerned with this. When things seem like they're at a halt, from a circumstantial perspective, God is blazing the path forward. Now, Paul knows this. He knows that the jail cell cannot contain him, that this won't stop him from being a missionary. Because he knows, as, as the Apostle Paul sits in a jail cell, he knows that his identity as a Christian means he is a missionary. No matter where he is, whether he's out, you know, pounding the pavement, preaching the gospel, or if he's stuck in a jail cell, he is a missionary. That's the identity that he has on. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, says that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. So that means that if you are a Christian, this, this identity of a missionary is yours also. Paul doesn't have it because he's a special kind of Christian. 
Every Christian has this identity as a missionary, somebody who is, who is engaging with preaching the gospels, talking about Jesus, sharing him with people. And so if you're a Christian, it means you're a missionary. The question then is, are you a good missionary or are you a bad missionary? Now, the way that we can determine if we're a good missionary or a bad missionary is if we are, are leveraging these opportunities that God gives us to share our life and the gospel with others or if we are ne neglecting these opportunities. Because God, the reality is that God has already put people in our lives, at work, in our neighborhoods, our families, our friends, who need Jesus. There are people who are already built into our lives that God is calling us to reach simply because we already have a connection to them. And the Holy Spirit helps us to identify these people and shows us how the gospel story resonates with their own story so that you can present Christ to them in a meaningful way, more than just Jesus loves you and he died for your sins, which is true, but people can, oh yeah, I, whatever. But when you really speak to their longing in their heart, the desires that they have, Right, the, the narrative that they've created in their life, the gospel speaks directly to it and it liberates them from all of the things that holds them back. So Paul wants us to pray for these opportunities to share Jesus with others in a meaningful way. So let me ask, when, when was the last time? If we're all missionaries as Christians, and you're either a good missionary or a bad missionary, when was the last time you took the opportunity to speak to someone about Jesus? Because God doesn't just like not give us opportunities until we ask for them. God's, God's dishing out opportunities right and left. The thing is, when we ask for opportunities, we become more aware and are more willing to step into them. When's the last time you took this opportunity? Now, some of you might be thinking, I live a pretty insular life. Most of the people that I know are already Christians, and so I don't need to share the gospel with them. And I think that's a misconception. There's not a single person, whether Christian or non-Christian, that doesn't need the gospel. But in your situation, you might need to pray that God would create new relationships for you, that God would provide new opportunities with new people to engage in a way where you can bring them or communicate to them everything Jesus has done for them. Now, you don't need to go overseas to make this happen, but it might mean that you need a change of venue, right? If you're living a life where you're not exposed to non-Christians, you might need to get out a little bit. Go sign up for a class at the Y or go down and be a regular at a restaurant or a coffee shop, right? Find some way to connect with somebody who needs the gospel, who's not heard of Jesus. But most often, it's not a matter of doing something new. It's a matter of doing what we're already doing with a new degree of intentionality, right? That we're, that we're engaging and, and aware of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit wants to lead us to connect with the people who are already in our lives that we maybe have blinders to. So Paul prays, pray for the opportunity. Secondly, he says, ask for clarity. Now, when we take this, seize the opportunity to declare the gospel, the mystery of Jesus Christ, he says that we would do it clearly. He says, you know, I declare the mystery of Christ and that I might make it clear as I ought to. 
Now, this is a bit paradoxical when you think about it, because on one hand, we're declaring a mystery, and Paul says to make it clear, right? A mystery that's clear, it's like a completely different thing. It's paradoxical, right? It's like, can I, will you explain to me quantum physics in a simple way? You can't really do it. It's, it's beyond us. And, and here, the mystery of Jesus Christ is far beyond quantum physics, that we can spend our whole life diving deeper and deeper in our understanding of the gospel, but yet at the same time, the gospel is so simple that a child can grasp it, that, that a child can hear what Jesus has done for them and believe in their heart that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. And so it's a bit paradoxical, and, and one of our tendencies is to muddy the waters when it comes to the gospel, communicating to people the, the good news about Jesus. We tend to become religious-y, and create extra hurdles for people to jump over. Now, we've seen this in the book of Colossians, how Paul has sort of been deprogramming some of these uh, Christians. So you don't have to do what the Jewish regulations call for. You don't have to do what the mystics and the pagan religions are calling for. Here is the simple and true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so part of the gospel is knocking down those barriers. And when we leave those barriers up, it's a disservice to the mission of God. And, And honestly, if we're supporting the barriers for people to come to Jesus, it means that we ourselves don't understand the gospel, that we don't get it. But the gospel is simple. This is how I would say it, that God is renewing the cosmos, even me and even you. That God is doing a work to transform us from the brokenness and the fallenness and the frailty that sin has left us in, and he's going to make us glorious and beautiful in Christ, and you can get in on it. So it's simple. The way you get in on it is through the blood of Jesus, where he washes away our sin, where he justifies the guilty. He heals our wounds by his blood, by grace, through faith. The gift. See, this is the simplicity of the gospel. Things are being made right, and Jesus is doing it. So there is no, when it comes to gospel ministry or sharing the mystery of Christ, there is no clear this hurdle, and then you've become more deserving of Jesus. That's not the case. Jesus will be no more ready to receive you in one to five years when you get your life together, then what he is willing to receive you right now. He's ready. His arms are wide open. There's no clear this hurdle. There's no getting over, getting yourself together. He is ready to receive you at this moment. And so it's not a question of if Jesus will receive you. It's a matter of will you receive him? See, this is the third thing Paul tells us to ask for. Just pray that the people would be receptive. As we seize the opportunity, as we clearly communicate what God is doing through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that people would receive Jesus, that their hearts would be open, the door of their hearts would be open to receive Jesus. See, this is the picture that we get in Revelation chapter three, where where it gives us the imagery of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. He's knocking. He's knocking on a whole lot of people's hearts in the Quad Cities and beyond. It's a matter of will they receive him? And so when we see this, we're praying for the opportunity, clarity, 
receptivity. And when we pray for these things, we're asking that God would work, that God would move in a big way, that he would orchestrate this. This is, this is really all about God's doing and very little about our doing, that he would orchestrate the opportunity, that he would give us words to speak clearly, that he would soften people's hearts to receive, and that he would ultimately lead people from death into life, from, from darkness into light. Transferred, Paul talks about this in Colossians 1, transferred from the domain of darkness in the kingdom of the beloved son. This is God's work. And when we think that this is our work to be on mission, to, to force somebody, to coerce somebody into to believing in, just, in Jesus, we are stepping on God's toes, and we're going to get burned out because we cannot do this. But, but because we cannot do that doesn't mean that, that we have nothing to do. See, what, what's up to us is to pray and to present. That's really it. To pray that God would move the mission forward to do all this, the opportunity, the clarity, the, the receptivity, changing people's hearts, that we would pray for that to happen, that we're so desirous of it, that it would actually lead us to presenting the gospel, to proclaiming and declaring the gospel of Jesus. It's, it's like a fitting illustration would be that of a gardener. Jesus uses this illustration with, with farmer, this agriculture, cultural illustration. The gardener doesn't create the field. The, the, the gardener doesn't make the soil, but he's attentive to it. He, he curates it. The, the gardener doesn't invent the seed, but rather he receives it and then plants it. The gardener doesn't make the seed grow, but he waters it and nurtures it and sees, does everything to take out the barriers from growth from not happening. See, all of the, everything the farmer does is in response to or secondary to what God is doing. So he plants the seeds and is watchful for what God is doing to bring forth the growth. This is a perfect picture of what it looks like to be a good missionary. And so we, we pray that God would work and that we would also understand our part in it, knowing that it's God at work and our role is secondary, knowing that God is the one who, des who desires to, to bring about, to advance his mission here on earth as it is in heaven. And when we know this, it gives us a confidence and a boldness because we're not asking for something that God doesn't want to do. God wants to do it. And so we can ask boldly that we would have a confidence to pray big prayers and to speak with conviction and boldness about Jesus to our unbelieving friends and family. Does your prayer life look like this? Are you asking God for big things to happen with those that don't know Jesus yet? When's the, when's the last time you got on your knees begging God to save your family member, your friend, coworker? This is the kind of prayer God wants us to engage in, and as we engage in it, it prepares for us to step into these opportunities and to do our part. Now, if you're like me, like full disclaimer, I'm a hypocrite, y'all. I am not an excellent missionary. I have to really be mindful as a pastor of sharing my faith in the places where God has placed me, my neighborhood, the gym, my friends. 
And so if you're thinking, man, I'm bad at this, I'm bad at being a missionary, I guess I better try harder, white knuckle it, right? That's not the answer. That, that's not the solution to the issue of being a bad missionary. Because at the core of our missionary identity, it's linked to our union with Jesus. And you can see this where at the very beginning of verse three, he says, at the same time. So he's referencing back to verse two where he's saying, continue steadfastly in prayer, be watchful, and be thanksgiving. So he's talking about this deep intimacy that we are all allowed to have with Jesus on a personal level, that that, that is what drives mission. That as we commune with Jesus, as we enjoy all the benefits that he offers us through the gospel, that we would desire that for other people as well. Because here's the reality. What you enjoy, you promote. What you love, you talk about. You do this with your favorite restaurant, right? The new restaurant in town, you're telling people about it, like, you got to check this place out. It's so great. Favorite clothing line, right? Oh, these, this shirt fits me perfect. You should try. We do this stuff all the time. We talk about what we enjoy. And so if we're not being good missionaries, it, it means that we're not actually enjoying Jesus. And the response, the, the correction is to actually go deeper into our union with Jesus, to enjoy him more. See, at the core of it, your mission problem is a delight problem. The fix is to enjoy Jesus. And when you enjoy Jesus, you know then your heart is aligned with God's heart. And when you enjoy Jesus, you share Jesus. Because this is the essence of Jesus' heart. He's not stingy. Jesus is not withholding. Jesus is generous, and he shares all things with us. He tells us all things are ours. He doesn't withhold relationship with the Father from us. He gives that to us freely. He doesn't withhold the inheritance of the kingdom of God. It's it's a free gift that we gain now, that we become inheritors, that uh, that we have the ability to inherit the kingdom. Jesus doesn't dangle this stuff in front of it, like get your, you know, jump a little bit higher, get your life together, figure it out, and then you can get this. Jesus offers this freely. And in offering us this free gift, he gives us access to the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate thing that our hearts are looking for. This is why the gospel is the most relevant thing in this world. Everybody is hungry for something. And they're gonna spend a whole lifetime filling that hunger with food and drink and sex and empty relationships and work and all these things. You go down the line and at the end of it, you're gonna be empty until you come to Jesus. He's the only thing that will satisfy your deepest cravings. And you will delight in him. See, in this way, mission is not a chore. Mission is a privilege. Mission is exciting. And this is the mystery of it all. How in the world can Jesus just offer this to us? This is grace. This is, this is a mystery. But it's a mystery I want to be part of. I hope you do too. Now, as Jesus satisfies our deepest longing, I'm closing up. You guys are doing great. As Jesus satisfies our deepest longing, 
He gives us an incredibly bright future, and anybody can get in on it. Anybody can get in on it. There's no one person who is beyond the reach of God. And so this is why we, as a church, pray for the mission of God to advance. Now, as I've been doing my study for revival, you know, as we're leading up to this sermon series, there are two leading contributors throughout the history of of the church with revivals. The two biggest contributors to revival happening is one, to enjoy Jesus and all the benefits he gives us, our justification, our sanctification, the coming glorification, the freedom from our sin, all of those things, and then praying that God would advance his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out on a revival in this generation because we aren't asking for one. I want to be a church that is begging God to move in big ways, and small, but big ways. So church, let us pray these big prayers. Richard Loveless says, even bad prayers are better than no prayers. So let's pray big, bad, sloppy prayers and trust that the, God, the grace of God will work in a way that we can't explain. And let us be generous with the gospel because Christ has been generous to us. Father, we thank you for this gospel. We thank you for the reality that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness, that because of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, our future is incredibly bright. Would you, would you allow us to go deeper and deeper into the knowledge of who you are and what Jesus has done for us and give us a boldness and conviction to be missionaries as you have called us to be, to, to be good missionaries who enjoy Jesus and love talking about him. Would you do this work in me and in this church for the glory of God, the good of our city, we pray.